Hello and welcome to the GX podcast, the world's first podcast focused on government services and their future. In this podcast, we talk about everything related to government excellence, government service design and delivery, GovTech, and citizen engagement. Join us for insightful interviews and conversations every month. Visit us online at gx.ae. Deb Westfall and Suhail Inayatullah, welcome to the GX podcast. I'm so thrilled because we have two incredible futurists on the panel today. We're going to talk about the future of governments, government experience, and everything that you guys feel is going to happen in the next few years to a few decades. So welcome to the GX podcast. How are we doing today? Very well, Just thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Let's do a quick recap for, for our audiences. Deb, you're based, out of, uh, you're based out of Salt Lake City in the United States. Uh, and Suhail, you're in Melbourne. So we're working across a wide number of time zones. So thank you for making uh, this work, both of you. Uh, Deb, let me start off with you. You've, you've had a lot of experience in the futures world. You've worked with Toffler Associates. You worked with uh, Alvin Toffler, who's uh, really done some incredible work in, uh, in the world of futurism, in, in, in understanding the world. Tell us about the, that experience of, of working with uh, Alvin Toffler and the organization. Well, the, uh, the experience is, is in, incredible and, and it was life-changing actually. And, uh, you know, how it relates to, uh, to this conversation is, um, you know, Al and Heidi were, were very much around uh, the revolution that would be happening would be around societies and, and people. And that technology would be the, uh, the fuel, if you would, uh, for that, that revolution. And so, um, you know, that convergence with technology and changing social norms and, and, and uh, values um, and how it's going to change organizations is, is why we're here today to, to talk about. Incredible. Thank you. And Sohail, you have a really long bio. I cannot go through all of it. It's just incredible what you've done over, over the years. But you're, you've done work in Hawaii. You've done work in, uh, you, you run an institute in, in Australia, the Futures Institute. And you also mentioned to me just recently that now you're the futurist in residence at an organization in the Middle East. Tell us about that. Uh, this is the government of Abu Dhabi with the Department of Culture and Tourism. So it's kind of a one-year program to get them to be futures oriented, develop anticipatory governance, start to see how the world is changing. And then really is not just how the world is changing, phase two is methods and tools and phase three is practicing the methods and tools. So it becomes a built-in capability. Incredible. Let's talk about, let's talk about government. So the GX podcast is all about helping understand the future of governments, government experience, government service delivery. So we're in the era of COVID-19, and it, this is one of the one of those things that's happening worldwide. I mean, uh, imagine something like this binding us all together. So everybody's uh, fighting against it. COVID-19 has had a tremendous impact on how governments behave, how they roll out services, what they uh, prioritize. And let's talk about 
the situation right now. So we're doing vaccine rollouts and all of that is happening. Tremendous load on governments. What are your thoughts on uh, some of the challenges that governments are facing right now and what they should anticipate uh, or plan for if, if we think about the next one to three years? Uh, let's, let's, let's hope it doesn't take that long for, uh, for the rollouts, but what, what are we looking at happening going forward? Who would like to take that question? I'll let Sohail go first and okay. then I can, yeah, and then I can oh, come back. We finished a research project on that. My colleague Ivana Milevich, uh, she led it. And the conclusion was three factors. Factors one is anticipatory, right? You want to develop force and all your capabilities. Factor two is social trust. And factor three is public health. U.S. was ranked number one on pandemic foresight capability. 450,000 deaths later, we know foresight capability is not the critical variable. Social trust and public health are. So if you go in the next three years or the next 50 years, would those three factors remain critical? Whether it's public health, public housing, public education, there's a base every economy in the world needs. Once citizens feel safe, a safety net, then you develop the social trust. Once you have that, then of course, foresight is critical. Without the other two, you know the future's coming, but there's nothing you can do, and that makes citizens feel even worse. Now, for the next steps for, for governance, given the trust in, is low in some countries, you have to understand the worldview, for example, of the anti-vax movement. I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's distressing, but we have to take into account the worldview and develop communication projects that understand their fears and as much as possible address them so they buy in, which is a social trust part. That's at local, national, and global levels. Yeah, I think I would I would add to that, and I think it uh, I think we need to be careful um, of concentrating too much on COVID, and uh, you know, and, and, and today I think I think what happened in COVID was um, you know when everything stopped in a in a very weird way, it uh, highlighted those those gaps in in all of our systems. But the human system, the humanity system now is, um, you know, through technology is empowered to, to try to make, make changes. It's interesting, I pulled some data from the Carnegie Endowment for uh, International Peace. And just in the last three years, the large scale protests around the world have, have gone up. And 110 countries um, have had over 230 very large scale uh, and significant anti-government protest. And these things are not just around, you know, COVID and their response, but it is around ineffective governance, uh, corruption, human rights, environmental concerns. So people are, um, people are, are frustrated. Um, and, and a lot of these uh, are in countries that are authoritarian and or leaning authoritarian. So it's not just around democratic, um, you know, or democratic leading countries. So I think uh, what Sohail said about being anticipatory is very important. And um, one of the things that uh, I think we need to have a larger conversation around is um, anticipatory democracy, where that local um, regional and you know large scale government um, 
you know, can, uh, can talk about agency because one size does not fit all. And um, it's really building that trust and that agency for those communities to start solving the problems. And uh, thank you. And one of, I think, thank you. That really, that really uh, puts, puts some context into what we're talking about. So you mentioned a, a few things, the three points, which are, which are really making sense is how do you put trust into this, this uh, between governments and people and what's the way to do it, right? That's, I think, the fundamental pillars of, of being able to even deliver any service to, uh, to, to citizens. Um, what's the role of, what's the role of technology, right? We're uh, hearing a lot about technology. We're hearing about artificial intelligence and blockchain and automation and smart cars. All that is great on, on one level, but come an incident like COVID-19, and we're not focused on just that conversation right now, but come incidents like that or not, what is the role of technology? And yes, it can help us do more things, but realistically, what should governments uh, expect? Uh, take a look at Israel uh, right now as being the top country that's vaccinated the maximum number of people. Are they using any specific technology for that? I don't think so. I don't think any of the big giant uh, buzzwords are, are, are applicable there, but it's pure execution. It's pure delivering the results. And so that's what I want to talk about. Is it technology that, that governments should focus on or automation? What, what is it uh, that's going to take us uh, beyond? Uh, Sohail? So again, honoring Alvin Toffler here. I remember his book, The Adaptive Corporation. When I was an intern in the Hawaii Judiciary in the 80s, their local futurist, I was reading that over and over. And he said, well, you like that book a lot. I go, well, he you know, really anticipated the disruption we're in now. And part of that disruption is there's a trust system. It breaks apart. We're in the transition. And so that's so COVID-19 or climate change or demographic shifts or gender equity. This is all the disruption, the anxiety people feel about the grand transition the planet's going yeah. forward, going into. So in my work, what I've seen work, I know government of Cambodia, we did a 2050 project and it was around the future of technologies. And the critical part was how do we find a narrative that works? And these room, this room of young leaders, uh, you know, number two in their ministries, they did a narrative shift. They said, right now we're in the world of the e-monk. Paper-based, lack of trust, many monks fighting for space. We want to move to the world of the e-Buddha. Yeah. The e-Buddha technology is transparent. It's easy to see. You're using blockchain. It's accessible. The technology enhances trust, makes ease of business. So they were very clear. It's not the technology. It's culture and technology working actually together. The old world of technology has changed. A new one's emerging. How do we make sure we have a story that helps us? When we were working with another country in Southeast Asia, the key ministerial policy leader, he took our course in futures, went to the speeches. Then he came and he said, well, he was in charge of driverless cars, automation stuff. So he went to the head of sanitation and said, I want to automate all our, our garbage trucks. Now the head of sanitation said, you confuse sanitation with garbage trucks. Actually, our truck drivers communicate with citizens. You misunderstood their role. So I don't want your driverless trucks. 
Now, this policy leader, he actually understood anticipatory governance and the key tool. He said, he remembered the term alternative future scenarios. So he said, okay, how about scenario two at night? Do they love to talk to people at night? <laughs> and the person, he said, actually, no. We would appreciate automated driverless trucks at night. During the day, our role in governance is connection community with technology. At night, please let us sleep. And so when I spoke to him, he said the critical factor that led to that success, technology uh, adoption, was being able to think not of one future, but many futures. In Cambodia, the suggestion was a narrative that makes sense to local people. E Buddha, E monk to E Buddha doesn't make sense, I think, in London or Salt Lake City, especially in Salt Lake City, but it makes sense in Phnom Penh. So this is the localized stories that help us make this transition. And, yeah, and I think there's I think there's a real danger in putting technology first before humanity and for, for people, because um, you can't build trust between technology. People build trust. It's heart to heart. It's it's mind to mind. It's it's looking, you know, it's that human energy that uh, that builds that trust and and, uh, and and really builds that that culture. So I think uh, technology has its role, but um, you know, the, the, if, we, if, we feel, if, if we feel ourselves getting too fascinated with technology and leaning into technology like it is going to, um, you know, solve our problems without considering uh, humans and that human-centric uh, perspective, I think there's a real danger. I, just in the, uh, in the United States, if you take um, some of the com companies, you take the Defense Department, very, very focused on technology, and then the human side is secondary. And, um, you know, there's all, all sorts of issues around technology. We can, we could spend, you know, a lifetime talking about algorithms and, and uh, you know, how they're put together and, and how, um, you know, kind of past uh, bias gets wrapped into the, the algorithms that take humans out and, and you know, for the detriment of, of uh, decision-making. But, um, you know, I do think there is a, a balance if we're very deliberate in understanding that convergence of technology and, and humans. And then, you know, and then building that into our organizations. Um, and that takes, uh, that takes a reexamination of our, our organizations and, and how we've uh, approached the structure and the governance of the past. So, uh my my guess is, it's sorry. My and my my understanding now from what you're saying is that let's put the human being first. Let's put a humanized approach first because uh, technology, yes, it can help automate, but if it doesn't address the needs of humans and people who are living in these communities, it's it the equation doesn't it doesn't help. There are some societies uh, which are really accelerating the investment in technology. And I feel right now it's just many pockets, right, with that that are in the news. For example, we're hearing about um, some organization or some company trying to create uh, automation in the retail, where they are going to have touchless, uh, seamless inter uh, interactions when you walk into a retail store, and whatever you carry, you're going to your your basket is going to automatically calculate that, and you can leave. And so there's that frictionless uh, revolution that's kind of coming up maybe in the next few years, right? Where there's 
the seamless transactions will take place in retail. Retail is a great example of some really cool things that are happening. Uh, is, is that something that governments should look into creating, reducing friction? Uh, because there's a lot of friction that takes place. For example, you're renewing your driver's license. Uh, I live in Canada. I have to go and actually do it uh, or, or fill up a manual form. You renew your health card, renew your passport. Like we're still working with paper and, and walking into places and standing in a queue in many places. What's kind of the future uh, in terms of reducing this friction and creating seamless um, experiences uh, for citizens? Deb, tell us about the U.S. What is happening in the U.S. or what have well, you I seen? Wanna, I want to kind of add to what uh, Sowal said is, is the, uh, the, the foresight. Um, a lot of technology is put in place and being put in place with promises that it will um, limit uh, the friction or it will help help people, but you know, sometimes it's done without that foresight into the why. Why are we doing this, and and how do we understand this, and how are how are how is this going to change the way the system works? And um, you know, there is a, a lot of momentum to and a lot of push from companies to sell technology, implement technology with you know, and they're guaranteeing that there will be, um, you know, increased value or, or limited uh, friction, but is that guaranteed? Have we gone through the foresight? Have we done the alternate futures to understand? And have we worked through, as Salia said, is the narrative of how this is going to change? Um, because I do think there is, especially in the US, a lot of technologies that is being embedded in, um, you know, businesses and in the government that really will not um, come to come to pass with the value that is being promised because they didn't do that headwork before the footwork. I think I 100% agree there. I know one university I was working with, we did their 2040 vision and then we did it by stakeholders. So we asked the professors and the vice chancellor had a decision to make his cash does he build new dorms or not, et cetera? Where, do you put, where does he put his infrastructure budget? The professors all said by 2025, they don't wanna be near a campus. There's not one professor in the room, I had 150 people in the room. He said, we want virtual holograms, seamless, et cetera. Students all said, we want a physical campus. So I said, what's your story here? They go, we want to escape our parents. And so this really, you know, and, and the head of infrastructure said, oh my God, there's a need for pedagogy, but the university is a need to actually find love. Yeah. I mean, if I can say it like that. So this is, whatever you decide, we understood the views of different stakeholders and that becomes critical. So of course we want seamlessness. We want it easy. My driver license took, renewal took 15 seconds in Brisbane. It was just all done really in seconds. Again, when I went to Cambodia, they had gone from paper to paperless. My visa application took one email, two emails done. So we want ease of use because that creates public trust. Yeah. Now, let me shift it to the view of the politician. When I work with counselors, political leaders, they say, yeah, that's all interesting. Help me get reelected. So their pitch to fund seamlessness or the new technologies is based on re-election. As one political leader said, you have to understand, I really don't care about 2040. I'm not gonna be elected then. 
help me use the vision so I can provide services today. So that's that trust, figuring out their needs. Now, if citizens don't feel tr trusted, then seamlessness is actually what organized crime loves. So when we work with Interpol law enforcement, I mean, I tell young kids, I said, what should I do when I, when, when I grow up? I said, you should join organized crime. They fit Toffler's 1980 criteria, you know, agile, flexible, innovative, anticipatory, figuring it out. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't want that. So that trust is working with citizens so they actually trust. And understanding anytime there's an opening, we have a global dark organization structure ready to jump in. Yeah, and technology allows, um, before we just put technology on the old processes, we should clean sheet what the processes are yeah. and then decide where the technology fits because so much of this is just replacing the technology with people or, or overlaying the technology into the same, um, you know, the same structure of, of operations that we have. And so this really allows, this time really allows us to, to kind of clean sheet and say, if we didn't have this capability, um, you know, what would it look like? You know, for instance, making seamless driver's license. Well, why do we even have driver's license? You know, maybe, maybe it's time, you know, to think about these, these organizations and, and the, uh, the structures that we have clean sheeted for a better future for citizens um, and then decide where the technology uh, needs to go to, to support that. So I think that's a, a big opportunity rather than just trying to implement uh, technology and, and wedge it into and retrofitting it back into what we've got right now. Because as we started this conversation, COVID really opened up where our seams are. Yep. And, um, you know, there is a, a future out there that we just take technology and band-aid it up but that's just gonna cause other issues and uh, that we'll see down the road. Let's take this time, clean sheet it, use foresight, and, and then determine what, uh, you know, how are we gonna engineer that using technology to the best that technology does. Incredible. Uh, I wanna ask one question about privacy, about um, data and with, with the evolution of these, this automation uh, and, and everything that's happening, you know, the seamless nature of things that's, that's upcoming, um, there's a lot of data that's going to be generated. What is your recommendation to governments who are going to be working with their citizens using this data? So we have this entire ecosystem. You've got governments, you've got citizens, you've got vendors, companies, private sector, and a lot of data being generated. What should be the recommendation to work with this data? How do we go about it uh, and not create uh, a situation where citizens don't have that trust in, in their governments? Any recommendations would be really, really welcome. I mean, this well, is- I think, I think there's, um, there's gonna be new business models that uh, put the human in the middle of, of their data. And um, you know we're seeing we're seeing some of the outcry right now around using you know our patterns of our individual patterns of life to sell to marketeers so that they can sell back to us. I think there is a um, a personal privacy issue, and and I think uh, individuals might get smart and uh, and say, hey, if you want my data, you can you can pay for my data, and so you know new businesses will 
you know, come up from, from that. I think data is interesting because our, um, you know, again, this is an old model of light it, gate it, guard it. I want all of it in, and uh, we can't, you know, we're, we're generating more data in one day than we did in the whole history of man. So, so how do we do that? I think it's going to get, um, there's going to be, I think, some, some need to understand time and the relevance of, of time and the, the relevance of time to that data because um, that data may only be useful in this small amount of, of time in a spectrum of time. And after that, it's, it's totally irrelevant. And so it's not more data and it's not more capability to analyze data. It's in the relationship to time and when I need that data and when that, that data is relevant. Excellent, thank you. So Hale, you were, you were saying something as well. You had a comment. I, I agree with, uh, with Deborah there. If we go from, this is part of the tension of the transition. Does government own the data? There's a corporate sector, and I think Deborah's right. It's ways where we own our data. But then we also know social change doesn't come out from data orientation. It's really figuring out that new story. When we've done governance workshops throughout Asia, the old story has been consistent, which is the story of the big man. The big man is leader. And the big man could be, you know, the prime minister, the landlord, the corporation. And the vision that's come out in so many workshops was really around the food court, the fresh food market. Meaning we have individuals exchanging ideas, emotions, romance, they're exchanging and the role of the state is to make sure the exchange is fair. And in that sense, I have to be aware of my own data and also the meaning making from it. And that's why this transition, you get all these protests because the old world is it's not just died out, it's dead. And now we're creating the new one. And that's why I think Deborah keeps on insisting is futures about optimizing strategy in today's world. That's one game. Or is futures about creating the new world. That's a whole different game. Our role as futurists is to always ask the tough question. You're developing a better strategic plan, strategic foresight in scenario one, which is fine, but then why are you bothering us? We're here to open up for scenario two, three, and four, and to find the one that creates a world, which for me is co-evolution, humans, nature, with technology in wise ways. Excellent. Thank you so much, both Deb as well as Sohail. I know we're out of time, and I really, really appreciate you both joining us final recommendations like give us one recommendation uh both of you that you would want governments to do in the next two to five years that what's that one thing that you would recommend deb i would say flip the uh flip the equation around and put people first and then uh you know and then ask those questions from a people perspective not from the existing organization and not from technology so people first thank you uh thank you deb what about you soil Agree with people first. I would only add, as we're all futurists here, decide how you do that through your vision of 2030. Yeah. Don't let past conflicts, hurts, mistakes lead you. Here's where we wish to be as a, as a society, civilization, planet. We use that image to decide strategy. Incredible. Thank you so much, both of you. Again, uh, here we are on the GX podcast. And uh, to all our listeners, we've had an incredible panel today. 
uh, Deb Westfall, as well as Sohel Inaitola. Thank you for joining us on this podcast episode. Everybody take care and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ian.